This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome to Spice Bags, where three opinionated ladies, Blanca, May, and me, Dee, have a dish about food in Ireland from an international perspective. Okay, well, we are here for the Celtic <laughs> Ross Hotel 25th celebration. And after speaking with Neil Grant, the general manager, and head chef Lawrence, um, who's joined the team recently from Romania, we are now uh, turning our focus to producers from West Cork and producers who are connected here with the Celtic Ross. And we are delighted, both May and I, to be joined by Jeff Gill from Duras Cheese, the legendary uh, lady from West Cork and from Duras Cheese. We're delighted to have you here. And Caroline Murphy, equally. Caroline, I'm so honoured that you could join us as well from West Cork Eggs. You ladies inspire us. And I know, I'm not sure if you get told that a lot, but you really, really do. Um, your product is incredible. And obviously the Celtic Ross love working with you guys. And we also are delighted to have you here because we wanted to start a conversation really around kind of why people, when they think about West Cork, they think about, you know, the artisanal produce that's here and the producers, the story behind producers and that community that is West Cork. Neil spoke about it earlier. He kind of said, when guests come here, even they kind of feel like they belong to that community. And both of uh, both of you have joined this community. You're not born in Ireland, so we wanted to speak a little bit about that, and I suppose a little bit about how that landscape of food in West Cork really has been um, created over the years by immigration and by then local food as well. So the, just that uh, correlation between the two. So And also women yes. producers. Yes, very important. Legendary women producers. Yes. Let us not forget. No, definitely. <laughs> um, and so I guess, Jeff, if I could come to you first. Um, what brought you to West Cork originally, and when did you come here? Well, um, I first came to West Cork in the late 60s when I, I was living in Dublin. I actually came to Dublin when, as a teenager. I was studying art and fashion and I ended up in Dublin and never went home, basically. And your home is in the UK? or I was born in Worcestershire in a farming family, but I left home very young and, as I say, came to Ireland, took out Irish citizenship when I was very young. So. I have been in. I've been here nearly all my life, really. Yeah. And when I was in Dublin, I came down to West Cork for holidays. And as life is, mm. I, you know, I really fell in love with it, and would have loved, wanted to live here eventually. In the seventies, um, it was very hard to live here unless you actually created your own work, because there wasn't any work. Okay. Mm. And. You know, the jigs and the reels and life and so on. I ended up myself and John bought a very dilapidated, rundown farm in near Durris in 1973, and it was a time when we had no really big plans. Uh, we just wanted to live uh, off the land mm -hmm. and make a living here, and so uh, we started off by rebuilding a st uh, the. St the stones that had fallen down, and doing land drainage and reclamation and so on. 
and really just try to scrape together to make a living. And we grew vegetables and we grew organic tomatoes. But of course, in those days, organic tomatoes didn't really mean anything. You still yeah. got the same <laughs> price for them. It didn't really matter. <laughs> and then we got a, got a couple of cows. And um, then I started making cheese on the, on, on the stove, just as an experiment, really. And then the kids started coming along, the two children. and. Um, the business grew from from the kitchen, yeah. And every bit of cheese you sold, the money went back to buy, make to buy a bigger pot to make a bit more cheese in, and so on. So it was really very, um, what can you say? You know, it was like organic, organic. Yeah, <laughs> it was a bit like this. You know, yeah. It, it evolved. It evolved. Yeah. The whole place evolved around the cheese make, and then of course, there wasn't any. There wasn't any um, cheese being made, farmhouse cheese was, wasn't made mm. at that time. And then a few of us, Veronica, of course, mm-hmm. the famous Veronica, who's an old mate of mine, she, God rest her, she, she um, was there. And there were a couple of other people who started to make coulée and um, other people who actually aren't making it anymore. But, you know, there was a core of people who yeah. started in the late 70s and early 80s. And it grew from there. And because... Farmhouse cheese in Ireland was quite a new thing. Journalists such as the lovely Theodora Fitzgibbon and yes. so on took it up and wrote about it, mm-hmm. so that we had lots of lots of um, free publicity, you yeah. could say, and a lot of interest. And, yeah. and then, you know, the the West Cork Enterprise Board and so on started to realise that these things were happening, and we got offered, a, you know, small grants and so on to continue. So. From, uh, you know, I, I started really making cheese in about 1979, 1980, and I guess by the time 1983 came, when Kosh was formed, the Farmhouse Cheesemakers Association, by then I realised I was probably going to be a cheesemaker, even <laughs> though I didn't set out to be one, it was just became, but yeah. and then we got more and more interested, and mm. I travelled a bit and saw other cheesemakers in other countries and learnt more, learnt on the hoof, really. Yeah. And learnt very much that cheese making is um, um, science and and craft. Um, it's really it, it, it's it's an evolving process. You learn mm. all the time about you know trans, transforming the milk into cheese. It's yeah, quite... I was going to actually ask, what was your first cheese? What did that, what did that taste like, and how did it evolve into Duras today? Um, I think the first cheeses I made were um, probably harder than the Duras as it mm. is now because I started with the bearer recipe, which Veronica had had evolved, and then. Um, just by the nature of where we were and how we were curing them, they became softer and it evolved. Um, they were—I I remember them looking pretty rough. The first—I'm <laughs> <laughs> really amazed that they actually sold. You know, and that was that. the other thing I wanted to ask: was where were you selling them at that point? Because obviously there wasn't as—was it in local uh, markets um, or shops or? Yeah, the first. I can't remember the first places I sold, but I, I don't remember the first place, but I do remember um, I remember selling them in, into the local shop, the village shop. And yeah. then, of course, there was a, a shop called The Courtyard in the Skull, uh, which was uh, a long time ago now. Uh, it's gone through many hands since. And where else? Shay Ewan in Baltimore, if you remember the Shay Ewan restaurant. No, I don't. Remember? No. no, sorry. He, he bought it. Yeah. 
um, and local shops and the supermarket. I think really the super super value, which used to be the VG in those days, oh, yeah. was caught with they used to buy, yeah. buy the cheese. Because obviously now with the over time as well, I mean, when, well, obviously we have online shopping and everything now, yeah, but probably. but I mean, like with the introduction of, you know, the Sheridans and the con- I suppose connecting a lot of our trying to create distribution for a lot of places. I mean, things like that would have helped, but I imagine it was a much harder thing for you when you first started to get word out about your you didn't have social media you didn't have I mean do you take ads in the newspaper how did you get the word out about or was it just all word of mouth and taste that spread the word word of mouth spreads very quickly it in does. Ireland yeah well that's true yeah. <laughs> and we had a, we had a Michael uh, Horgan's delicatessen supplies Michael yes. Horgan now lovely yeah. Michael he was the probably the first distributor who took on the cheeses and then traditional cheese followed, and um, then it's uh, we had Glenny and Ian. I mean, it's no, there's a lot of distribution, mm. and it didn't seem to be a problem selling it. Mm. It didn't seem to be a problem. That's great. For me, it's interesting though. I mean, I think of Duras, and I do, and I think of Malines. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, and for me, they almost taste much more continental, mm-hmm. right? So I had this sort of, I, you know, this, you know, sort of you know, how, so people's response, like the idea that, you know, that everyone would love Duras in 1979 in Ireland, for me was like, oh, that's just really interesting, right? Like, you know, like, like what, you know, sort of was appealing to the Irish palate about Duras at the time? Well, well, I think that uh, the cheese that was generally on sale in the the 60s and 70s was um, really nice cheddar, you know, Mm -hmm. cheddar that was always made, really very nice cheddar, and... um, the cheese in the box, the Galti, was very popular. I remember that one. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that too. Still love it now, Still love you? It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it was because it was a different. It was different, and and uh, and then people started to travel more and eating out more, and they brought their tastes back with them from mm. holidays. And the whole sort of eating scene, the food scene, changed very rapidly. From, mm. from then on, I think. And we just happened to be on the curve of the wave, as all that, whatever you call it. You know, it was yeah. all happening at the same time. And um, it wasn't a particularly strong cheese, so I think mm. it, it yeah. took yeah. on to the palate quite well. Um, I know that I've, I've, I've read, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've read that as well, Myrtle Allen, when she was kind of taking to the the national papers and the and the airwaves and you know tv and everything that she was a great advocate and helped spread that word and oh, promote. without without a, without a shadow of a doubt Myrtle mm. was a great advocate for all all small producers and she and Bally Malou and then Darina of course did just oodles of stuff to promote and to bring everything to the forefront of people's mm-hmm. people's minds and no they they were absolutely great for the food industry yeah and Duras now I mean can you tell us a little bit about how much are you producing at the moment and um where well not where is it available because I know you can get it nationwide but um uh, maybe what's the future of Duras as well yeah that's a good question (laughs) at this point actually we are a little bit of a crossroads because we are fairly much up to capacity now in on the farm Mm. where we are and and my daughter has joined uh, joined the business. I mean, she the, both kids used to help out when they were younger, but she's went off and did her own thing. But she and her, she and her family have moved back from Galway, and they're with me. 
Um, so she's working with me as well, and she's grown the business since she came down, you know, because she's much cleverer with um, lots of, we've got different skills, and we yeah. work very well together. Um, we, I suppose we're making about, I'm not sure exactly how many tons yeah. we did last year, but it'd be 30 tons minimum anyway. Okay. And we we have to make about, we have to make five days a week. Um, we we have to have staff in seven days a week because mm-hmm. the cheese needs to be cured and turned and there's always cleaning to do. Jeffa came in and said, I've got to, I've, I've got to rush back to the milk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> West Are Cork stuff is still hands-on. Yeah. yeah. Are you still as hands-on as ever? I am still hands-on, but not as much as I used to be. No, um, I, Sarah makes, uh, th- does quite a bit of the cheese making then along with Jesse and Molly and Anne and all the rest of them. But um, I still, I still do the morning shift and the, and the evening shift. Yeah, I am, I am involved and, I do everything, bits of all the janitorial work around the place seems to fall on me. Do you have a favorite way to enjoy your cheese? Um, Well, I think we we eat it mostly just sliced up and, you know, eating it normally just on a cheese plate. But it does actually make very good toasted cheese sandwiches. Yes, it does. It, does. it really does. It does yeah. make good cheese, toasted cheese sandwiches. But just at the moment, I'm not eating bread, so I can't eat um, the cheese sandwiches, oh, yeah. and I do miss that. I mean, I quite like it with wine, I will just say. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I love a cheese board yeah. and grazing and having different condiments yeah. with it. I also loved the introduction of, I think, it obviously was for a different taste, of the Doris Oak. Yes. Um, how did that come about? Was that just an idea to... To that you found people were enjoying it at a, at a younger maturation, or, and I think it, um, really it came about because we wanted to uh, we we wanted to design or evolve another product, and we wanted a smaller one because people were the market was changing in so much that people liked to take single portions from the fridge, and, yeah, you know, and. Um, we just wanted to make something that was that size. Okay. And then we just discovered the way we... We evolved it by just using the curd in a different way. And it it, it evolved itself into the, in what became the oak. Actually, it's been very popular, that cheese. Mm. I want to bring Caroline Murphy of West, um, West Cork Eggs into the conversation. Caroline, also English. Um, and in certain ways, um, I was talking to the ladies before, but in certain ways, sort of different generations of um, women coming into West Cork as a producer. And if you don't mind me asking, what brought you here? Okay, I was sitting there listening, mesmerized to, to <laughs> Jeff for the story. Um, my father's from West Cork. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, and my mother's Kilkenny. So although I'm born and bred in London, it was very, very, very Irish. <laughs> um, we used to come on holidays every year. We'd be here every Christmas. We used to be having um, rings and rings of clon pudding going back in the car to have at home kind of thing. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I've got lots of family here. And just it was always kind of a second home. And even into teenagers and kind of early 20s, we were still coming back on weekends away and just always loved Ireland. It always very much felt like home. And then 20 odd years ago, I said, right, I'm going to try it for 12 months. And, and that was supposed to be it, six months, maybe 12. And I was supposed to go back to my life in London. And I didn't. I think, I don't know whether it's a case of you fell in love with the place or fate intervened. And I met my now husband. And it just, I never went back. And it was as simple as that. And it just, it, I wouldn't go back now. I yeah. wouldn't. I wouldn't. West Cork is home. It's a beautiful place to live. 
it's given me more opportunities than I think I would never have had anywhere else. So I count my, I'm very blessed to live here, very, very lucky. And it's great because I have family and a life here now. And was the business a family business or did you start it yourself? No, my husband's a dairy farmer. Um, so I suppose it was never an option for us to move back to London either. It was only kind of after the day after our wedding that I thought, I'm never going to live in London again because <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't bring all these cows home. So um, I kind of just got stuck into the farm um, I was very London. I didn't think I would love it as much as I did. Um, and we are, again, a bit like Jeff, as our, our children started coming, and you just get stuck in, and you do what you have to do kind of thing. And then back in 2009, um, we our, our daughter was stillborn, and it was a terrible time. And at mm -hmm. that time, then I said, right, I need to be Mother Earth to the three kids that we already had. Mm -hmm. And it turns out I'm not Mother Earth at all, right? <laughs> so, but anyway, I bought these four hens. And we just loved the whole taste of them, the freshness, the kids collecting. Mm -hmm. It was very important for me to know where the food came from rather than just a polystyrene packet in the supermarket. Mm -hmm. And I just kept getting more and more hens. I just, I just loved them. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just got this affinity for the birds. And... Then we ended up with kind of 200 hens, and I was selling them to friends. And At what point did you go? At what point did you look outside, or were you out one day and just gone? And say, hmm, this is maybe this, this is, is getting out of control. I've made too many trips to the hen lady, um, and then I kind of said, right, there might be a business here. And I come from quite an entrepreneurial family. Mum and dad both had their businesses. My brother has his own business, so it was mm -hmm. quite natural. I always wanted to work for myself, something that would fit in with the kids. So it just kind of grew from there. Yeah. And, yeah, I went into Super Value and said, will you sell my eggs? And it took me about two weeks to get up the courage just to ask him. And he just like that went, yeah. But he said to me, the customer will decide yeah. if we keep selling them. Is there something that you think is unique about your eggs? Or is it that you could pinpoint? Is it the taste? Is there something, yeah, that you can put your finger on? Um I suppose I like to think of myself as my own customer. So what I feed my children and the family is very important to me. So it has to be fresh. We only sell eggs that we produce at home. Mm -hmm. So we don't sell anybody else's eggs. So I can stand over every single egg. I know the birds, what they eat. I know they let out every day. I know they have loads of room to run around. We even have like a kind of playpen for them with a sand piece <laughs> and a xylophone on the side. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to play music. I've never heard any tunes <laughs> I would have said. And I think the packaging helps as well. Our packaging, um, people always comment on the packaging. Mm. And it seems we kind of did a survey recently and we said, you know, how did you discover West Cork Cakes? And it was in store. So we tend not to do in-store tastings because I don't know how you taste eggs, to be yeah. fair. So I've just never gone there. Um, so the packaging does its work. And then I think it's the taste. They're fresh. You get today's eggs on the shelf tomorrow. Um, and they're, they're the lifeblood of our business. So it's very important to me that they are treated right, that they're fed right, that they have the freedom. And that's what we, we say, happy hens, happy customers. Yeah. So and it seems to work. And are you available throughout all of West Cork or Cork or nationwide or where are, you we, where are the eggs available now? We supply most of the super value stores in Cork City and County and then other independent retail outlets throughout Cork yeah. and restaurants, cafes and hotels. So um, I'm just going to jump in and I'd love for both of you to talk a little bit about this. Is, um, 
to maybe talk a little bit about the international influence of West Cork and, you know, and sort of international producers and how you have observed how that's evolved and also then, in certain ways, contributed to this idea of modern Irish artisanal food. Um, Jeffa, do you want to take this first? Mm-hmm. And Carolyn, jump in. I suppose I look upon it as just being Irish food. And yeah. I mean, I suppose people that have come in from other places, as I did, and it, they haven't got a structure to, to necessarily go into, like a family structure. Or, mm-hmm. So it, it's more important for uh, people who come in from other places and to, to make their own living and the, to make, you know, to bring something, yeah. to bring something into the place. And uh, I guess that's very much happened with, yeah. uh, with um, you know, Caroline and her eggs and, and, uh, and Sally Maybe. with her salmon and, of course, all the cheesemakers. And yeah. everybody's brought something in from other places. And even but most recently, um, you know, Ahmed Didi, who's originally oh, yes. Turkish, coming to Baltimore. And there's yes. a lot of um, the Krawczyks maybe, you know, yeah. from Poland coming. I suppose maybe it's, I'm from Dipperary originally, and yeah. I couldn't make the same remarks about Dipperary that I would say maybe about West Cork. Tipperary people oh, are see, from... Yeah. Ireland originally, the heritage is Irish, whereas West Cork, I feel, has this really, it's it's Irish food, but what I mean is it's it's just that there's such a culture down here that is is a, a real mixed bag of everything from everywhere. And people come to West Cork, they could be from other parts of the country, the UK, yeah. Europe, mm. America, anywhere. Like I know loads of Americans down here as well. You know, I just feel like it's a real place that people come to and settle. And as you said, maybe they have to make their own business. They have to be entrepreneurial. And that's what makes Cork, West Cork unique. Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah I, I think as well, it is such a special, I know there's lots of special places in Ireland, but there's something about it that people find attractive that you can, there's places to hide if you want to and just <laughs> leave the rest yeah. of the world behind you or you can come and be part of it. And I think by nature, certainly West Cork people are very nosy. So if you're producing something... <laughs> They'll have a taste just to see if it's any good. Do you know what I mean? And then if they like it, they will very, they're really good at supporting. But I think, I mean, I remember even as a kid, say, there would be people, and it used to be funny because people, English people, they go, oh, I'm sorry, you're English. And you're like, I'm going to take offense. Do you know what I mean? Um, but the people came here and, and made a life here. And again, they had to, because there wasn't as many sort of employment opportunities, you had to live, you had yeah. to eat. And it just seeped into that fabric. And like I said, people are nosy, so they will try it. They will come and have a look. They want to know who you are, what's your story. And then they are quite good at opening up and giving you a chance and saying, oh, this is from the lady yeah. that moved in down the road. Try it. And I think you're right. It doesn't happen in other parts of Ireland. Mm. I have friends and family that come here and they go, the markets are amazing. The food is mm. amazing. You don't mm. get that mm. in the parts of the Midlands mm. or different parts of the country and I think sometimes down here you're so immersed and you you get so used to it that you forget this isn't all around the country this is a really really special place that's really Mm. really good at producing food Mm. and 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 people just love it and the the farms I mean where I the farms are small people are um, living closer together Mm. and um, the community, I mean, when I first came here, the, the farming community where I was were very supportive, mm. very supportive. The old people were just mm. wonderful, and they uh, really were um, welcoming and curious about mm. And then they stood back and watched. 
Yeah. You know, now what's she going to do? Is this going to? And, and mm. they, but they were always there, never, not intrusively, but yeah. they were there if you really needed a hand. And uh, oh, we had lovely. I mean, I was. We used to make hay by hand. We had the neighbours would come in and help us. And we, when I first, when we first had cows, we used to take the milk to the creamery. Mm. And I, I used to go down with the with the churns in the back of the van. And I think I was only one of three women who drove at that time. <laughs> and, <laughs> I believe it, yeah. And some, somebody would help take the churns out of the back. Because you actually drove the milk to the, to the creamery in those days. The yeah, it wasn't come, collected. You know it, you know. yeah. Yeah. And um, I remember going down with the van when I was pregnant with my daughter. And I... I it must have been quite. It must have been quite like, like, like quite well on because the man behind me um, came and helped me out of the, out with the churns, and he said to me, "You won't be coming anymore now." <laughs> 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 so after that, I didn't dare take the milk down. I got somebody else to do it. I think it's probably going back to what Neil said in his um, again referring to that of that. West Cork, the culture here is to welcome any guests, visitors or people who move to the area like they're already part of the community, that you can go to a local pub, a local market, um, a farm and you walk away knowing something about the person. Mm. And maybe it's the the nature of people, the charm of the area, the the way it's introduced. And that's how people decide to not spend 12 months, but stay here yeah. forever. And, yeah. you know, you hear that so often. Like, I didn't mean to. I was just I just came backpacking and I ended up staying here yeah. forever, you know. So I, I guess maybe that's part of it mm. as well. It's the actual community spirit that still makes it unique and welcomes people here regardless of where they're from or whether Iri- whether it's a p- another part of Ireland or another part of the world. Mm. And probably because people have been coming for so, l- yeah. for so long over mm. the decades. Like there were lots of Dutch people that mm. came in the 60s and, yes. and the 70s. But people are used to people from other places yes. coming yeah. and they just accept them and assimilate them into the community. And the let's forget the beauty of mm. the absolute well, of yes, this part so, of yeah. the county as yeah. well is yeah. just absolutely stunning can i ask um if you guys had any thoughts on why there are so many extraordinary female producers in west cork because <laughs> well, um, we're good at what we do <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i mean the farmers wives are the really the um it's, it's the backbone mm. of the farms and the women mm. have always um, done the eggs yes yeah. absolutely like i mean so yeah. many people that their mother or granny did Made eggs the and butter. It was the, yeah it was yeah, their egg money was, and uh, yeah the women are the backbone of the farm and very quietly would have been the runners of the farm. you know what i mean they did all yeah, the work as well would. a lot of it as well and minding children and stuff and, and the form filling and the yeah. all that sort yeah. of thing was done by the women yeah, yeah. i uh, think that was it as well like it, it, you know, a farm has to, to hold its own and it, you have a certain amount of land and very often the West Cork farms are small. You don't get sprawling three or four, five hundred acre farms mm. around here. So every inch has to be utilised. Everything that's produced on the farm has to be utilised. And I think certainly Irish farming women were very good at that. So whether yeah. it was whether they had hens so that they could feed their families but also then sell on 
the rest of the eggs as well. Uh, my own mother, she kept hens, funny enough, when she was a girl up in Kilkenny as well. And she would have kept turkeys and sold them at Christmas. That kind of entrepreneurial yeah and it came it came from necessity mm. it's you know because they had to find extra ways to feed the family there were very large families yeah. as well usually and it just came from that need and then there was a, a skill in a, an expertise there that was probably handed down through generations brown bread recipes you know jams all this kind of stuff and women are very inventive and mother or is what they're saying necessity is the mother of all invention yes and it, it's like your story, you know, that you do it because you have to do it. Yeah. Even if it's driving to the creamery, heavily pregnant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you just Sorry. do it. We just did it. Absolutely. Yeah. You didn't even think about it. Yeah. And, you know, I, we, at some, at, there was a point when I found myself uh, on my own with my kids and we, we brought, I brought them up myself. And I was milking cows at the time and then before I started to buy in milk because now I buy in all my milk. And when I look back, and I'm, I, I must have had so much energy. I just can't, mm. it didn't seem a problem at the time at all. I can't ever remember feeling that things were hard because mm. yeah. we just got on with it. Mm. And, um, but I think as well, there's a there's a thing about living on a farm. It is hard work, right? But it's you're doing something that you love, and there's a pride in it, and you're out with nature, and you're out in the elements, kind of thing. But there's just something about it. It's it's better than being stuck in an office for forty hours a week. Mm-hmm. And it's also think. your your life. You know, yeah, like it's, it's your you're you're doing it to feed your family in more ways than one yeah. like whether it's through selling the produce but also literally feeding your family yeah. Yeah. so i think there's that as well um well you are only two of the most amazing <laughs> women down here but we are absolutely well, delighted that you came in to speak to us well thank you so much for asking us and there are loads of really wonderful women absolutely, <laughs> yes. absolutely. definitely yeah. Absolutely. um and uh, yeah thank you so much for joining thank us you. thank, thank you, you we really appreciate it Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.